Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 248. Today is Sunday, the 10th of September, 2017. And this interview is with Andy Malinsky, Professor of International Management and Organizational Behavior at Brandeis University's International Business School. He's also the author of two books. The first was Global Dexterity and most recently Reach, a new strategy to help you step outside your comfort zone. We discuss in this podcast the challenges and solutions for getting out of one's comfort zone. We also talk about the challenges of the intercultural comfort zones, the different cultural approaches and systems that format our zones of comfort. So are you ready to get out of yours? Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. So hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue. Today, piped in from somewhere outside of Boston, as I understand it lovely town of Boston, Andy Malinsky. So, Andy, you're a professor of international management and OB at Brandeis University, a big Boston fan and author of two books, the last of which is called Reach. And hopefully we're also going to get a chance to talk about global dexterity and this notion of cultural comfort zones. So, Andy, tell us, first of all, who you are in your own words and how would you describe your mindset? Well, thanks for having me on, first of all. I'm happy to be here. Uh, so, but yeah, as you mentioned, I'm a professor of uh, organizational behavior and psychology. That's my background. I've written a couple of books, uh, Global Dexterity and Reach. I write for Harvard Business Review, Inc.com, Psychology Today. Um, and I also t- uh, have started to do a lot of work in companies, doing keynotes and um, in workshops and so on and so forth. So I've got one foot or both feet in the university, but also my, so my, I guess my third foot is outside the university. So, uh, that's, maybe that gets to my mindset. Yeah. Well, how would you describe your mindset? (laughs) A foot in two faces. Yeah, exactly. How do you you explain having three feet? Uh, um, you know, I don't know my mindset, let's say, um, I think my mindset is to, um, is to, uh, be efficient, to not think or worry or be concerned too much, and to take one thing at a time. I sort of feel like after I started having, my wife and I started having kids, after my job started to expand in various ways, and I had so much coming at me all the time, all I can do is just take everything as it comes, do it as carefully, thoughtfully as I can, not worry too much about it, certainly not procrastinate about it, and just move on to the next thing. That's kind of how, that's my mindset so it, just to riff on that one second, because I think it is the state of most people's lives these days to feel somewhat overwhelmed by the number of things. What does the notion of imperfection say to you? Well, you know, I, I don't, I, I, I don't try to be a perfectionist. I mean, I, I, uh, I, I sort of have an inner sense of confidence at this point that when I, when I do something, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a, webinar, whether it's a radio interview, whether it's a blog or an article I'm writing for a magazine or, or, a, or a, you know, I don't know, like, a, or an internet site. I, I just, I guess I have some sort of sense of confidence that if I just sort of like step up and do it, it will be fine. It, it doesn't have to, the, the zone, I, I'm not going to, whatever I produce, I, I just have a confidence is, is going to be in a zone of being pretty good. It doesn't have to be perfect. And I mean, what is perfect anyways? So, so, so that, that, that's kind of how I, how I operate. 
Well, I, I'm going to guess that that's going to be an interesting element of the cultural uh, comfort zone story. So your first book, Global Dexterity, because uh, you know I speak a whole number of languages, uh, but really none of them perfect, including English. So at some level, the ability to accept mistakes as you're trying to waffle into this new language, into a new country where you're working, being able to accept the fact that you can't speak perfectly, can't perfectly transmit all your ideas, which is also, uh, you know, that can be a, a bigger issue. But that, is that not part of how you manage to get through and into a new culture? Uh, I would say so, for sure. I mean, I think it's interesting, actually. The more, ironically, the more you sort of fit the prototype of what people expect someone from that culture to look like, the less slack they might cut you for mistakes. So if you are clearly not from that culture, or, you know, whether it's uh, something that's visual, whether it's something that is clear through your language or your halting fluency or whatever, you're oftentimes cut slack for mistakes, but it's interesting. I've done some research on this myself. I've actually, my PhD dissertation addressed this. You get cut slack uh, personally, interpersonally, like you're seen as, you know, more likable. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it's a double-edged sword because you're penalized in terms of what they perceive about your competence. Uh, you, you're perceived as maybe less competent, but simultaneously more likable. So, you know, I think that, um, I think going into a new culture, uh, it is important to kind of like find ways to be able to experiment, to cut, cut, to, to cut yourself slack or to, have, to try to increase the chances others will cut slack for you uh, around imperfection because that goes both ways. It's your own internal feelings about perfection or imperfection plus also uh, perceptions of others that I think ultimately matter. Yeah, so in the first case, it's more about your confidence, about managing to deal with the fact that you have a pimple on your nose as opposed to the way they are perceiving you. Yeah, I think so. But I think those are, those are intertwined. And uh, so would you recommend an American to rid themselves of tan chinos and blue blazers? <laughs> I, think, I think it's, a very, it's actually quite a complex question because you know, it depends a lot on the situation. It depends on the people you're interacting with in that new culture. It depends on you and your personality and your charisma and your ability to sort of find points of commonality. A lot of people focus on differences across cultures, but I think the key to being effective across cultures is not differences. It's actually similarities. It's finding ways to bond and create similarities despite the differences. So, and, and if, you're, if you're sort of like ridding yourself of elements that are core to you in order to seemingly accommodate that might make you feel less authentic, which might make it harder for you to create these connections. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a complex process, I think, adapting and adjusting across cultures. Um, but you know, that, that's what I would say about that. Yeah. Because if let's say my background, I have a thespian side to me. And so that was on a stage where you actually are supposed to take on a new persona. The challenge is, you can be conceived or perceived as being a chameleon, and therefore, who are you? You're, you're someone someday, something in another language, and so on. Yeah, but it, right, and, and so, so some people can feel that you're. They call it in psychology. They call it a self monitor. They find you a high self monitor, and it's hard to kind of pin down who you are. But for some people, that might be who they are, right? <laughs> so it, it's complex, actually. Um, I think it all comes down in the end, if you're trying to be effective across cultures is to find sort of a middle ground between being yourself and accommodating, 
you know, oftentimes when I, when I am asked about like what the, or, or when people actually just provide me with their best advice about crossing cultures, often I hear it on one of two extremes, either, you know, some people will come in and say, yeah, just be yourself, just be yourself and you'll be fine. Other people go to the opposite extreme and say, you know, essentially when in Rome, act like the Romans. And, and in my view is that it's actually the right in between those two. You want to see if you can have your cake and eat it too, if you can find a way to adapt and adjust your behavior across cultures, but without losing yourself in the process. And that's what my book, Global Dexterity, was about. It's about how to actually do that. Find that middle road. All right, yeah. so, and you, you, your new book, uh, which came out at the beginning of this year, which is Reach, a new strategy to help you step outside your comfort zone. Tell us the main premise of your, of your new book. So I think all of us, I would imagine, if we admit it to ourselves, a struggle in some way with some things outside our comfort zones. For some people, it's public speaking. For other people, it's making small talk with people they don't know. Maybe it's being assertive or delivering bad news or you know, giving negative feedback, whatever it is. And so this, this book is about uh, why it's so hard to step outside your comfort zone. I mean, we know it's hard, but why specifically? So why is it hard? How do we avoid doing it? Uh, what are the what are our sort of go to tactics and strategies for avoiding it, and then how can you actually be more successful at it? And so this book is the result of years of research um, I've done with managers, executives, small business owners, doctors, lawyers, um, entrepreneurs, uh, priests, rabbis, even a goat farmer. <laughs> so lots and lots of people from lots of different occupations and professions. Um, interviewing them, doing observations. I also have created an MBA class here at the business school where I have students choose situations where they have to step outside their comfort mm-hmm. zone. So I've had firsthand experience, sort of like um, almost like a living laboratory to see this in action. And so I've taken all this together, plus my own research, plus others' research to come up with what I hope is a like user-friendly and super useful guide to stepping outside your comfort zone. I, I just... You know, I was thinking about the goat farmer and whether you know it's dealing with cows might be outside his comfort zone. But when you when you're talking about this, is it is it likely that everything you're talking about is culturally neutral? In other words, whatever you say is universal. No, I, I don't think it's culturally neutral. But I, I I think it's actually I think culture is one of the determinants ultimately of our comfort zone in a situation. So, for example, if if acting assertive assertively or, or let's, I'll take another example, pitching and promoting myself um, to, a, to a senior colleague. Let's say you're in the United States in order to get ahead at your job or even to find a job. You need to kind of network and pitch and promote yourself to a degree. And let's say you come, let's say you're an Indian MBA student in the United States and you come from a culture in India where you were taught uh, your whole life to be modest and not pitch and promote yourself and furthermore to be actually fairly polite and deferential when speaking with authority figures and so you have to come to the United States and basically step outside your in this case cultural comfort zone so culture is definitely sort of shaping the experience of stepping outside your comfort zone but personality matters too of course right so, uh, so does life experience and many other things and so culture plays a role in shaping our experience ultimately of situations we find uh, in, in our culture or another in terms of comfort zones. Hmm. So I may be wrong in one premise in this next question, which is that comfort zone and conformity are related. But to what extent do you see education in, in the United States in particular, but maybe elsewhere, 
at fault for wanting to keep us always operating in our comfort zone? Well, it's a really, it's a good question. I wouldn't necessarily call it conformity, but, but even putting that piece aside, I think that education, I can't speak for other countries because I'm not as familiar with their education system, but, you know, I think that, um, I think oftentimes in an education system in the United States, um, people, uh, that, that, that there's great effort towards making the experience safe for students, safe and comfortable, mm-hmm. predictable, reliable, and so on. And you want that. And frankly, students want that. Like in a college atmosphere, a university atmosphere, uh, it's predictable. It's safe. Students are choosing from a menu of options. Uh, it's a protected atmosphere and so on and so forth. And, you know, the thing is, is that I think a lot of students struggle when they step into the real world where it's less safe, less predictable. They don't choose from a menu of options. They're all of a sudden having to deal with the sort of chaos, unpredictably, unpredictability and, you know, um, the, 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 the fact that, that they might not know what the options even are. Um, and, and how to and how to make their way and how to achieve success and so on and so it's possible I think in some educational systems that we set people inadvertently up for failure or for struggle at least by 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 making the initial experiences maybe a bit too safe. Um, now I don't think you want to expose people to the full heat of the most challenging situations you can imagine, but somewhere in between where you're actually equipping people with a capacity to step outside their comfort zone, I think is quite valuable. And I think you see that in some professional training, but I don't think you see that as much in the educational system. Uh One of the, so I, I went to school in four countries or at least had children in four countries. And so I had an opportunity to see from within the different ways that teaching was happening and specifically how you are rewarded and graded. And the thing that always drove me rather bonkers as I came from Europe over to the United States was this notion of grade inflation and that Johnny is always perfect, Johnny being the student. And so getting 100% in anything was just unlikely in my life unless it was sort of a small little mass problem. But for the rest, getting 100 in a philosophy exam, as I once got, just seemed completely specious and unlike, I mean, just not, not appropriate, because it's telling me that I'm perfect, and I think that the world is not perfect, and therefore education should teach us to deal with the, uh, the imperfections and the foibles of life a lot more than this notion of, you know, bracketed, protected world. I don't agree. I think that, you know, but you have to do it in a smart way. I don't think you want to kick people out of the nest. I think you want to, um, I think you want to be thoughtful about exposing to people, people to sort of increasingly challenging situations. I call them like in the book, reach, I actually call them just right challenges, right? So they're, they're in your sort of challenge zone, but they're not in your terror zone. Cause I think that's a recipe for failure, putting people immediately in a terror zone, you know, fully on sink or swim. I don't think that's what we should be doing, but I do think we should put people in challenge zones and, and sort of build, helping them build resilience and so on. And, 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 and failing and, and getting, below 100 percent as you said uh and 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 then sort of um not having to um not having to link their own positive self-regard to 
to, to these sort of um, external goal, um, external um, grades and so on. So, you know, in a way, by inflating the grades, we're inflating people's self-regard in a way that isn't really internalized so much for themselves. It's just sort of like connected and linked to these to these grades. So I, I agree with you. Um, I, would, I, I would agree. I would love to, to have this debate at a larger level. I mean, an A used to be in my days in England, uh, 60 out of 100. And, and then where the, the notion of reach comes interesting is that you really could, you know, strive to go for 65 and 70. And you've got a lot of room to reach for, as opposed to 50% of your grades being an A or above in America, where you're, you know, you're already told you're really great. You've got 19. What's there to reach for? So I, I wanted to just swing back in on, on um, in, in terms of dealing with how do you get out of your comfort zone? You talk about these three C's and one of which was conviction. Maybe first of all, you could just tell us about the other ones and, and, and then I'll, I'll follow on after that. Yeah, sure. So, so I, I should say that um, the first part of the book, I talk about why it's so hard to step outside your comfort zone, which I just want to spend a, a second on here because I think it's important in relation to these solutions. Um, I find that people struggle oftentimes with five, one of five different things. They struggle with authenticity. They don't feel authentic stepping outside their comfort zone. They don't feel they're worried about likability. They're worried that people won't like this version of them or even hate it. People worry about their competence, that they'll be seen as incompetent. They worry. So, some people feel resentful about having to step outside their comfort zone. And then some people even feel um, that it's a threat to their morality, that it's, that, it's, that it's wrong in a certain situation. to They feel it to be stepping outside their comfort yeah, zone. And like, so the, the, those, are the, those are the pressures that I found that people are under. Not, not all of them, by the way. You're not going to necessarily experience all of them in every situation. Maybe you'll never experience one or two of them, but even one of them can make, you know, feeling inauthentic and incompetent and worrying people won't like this version of you. That's a big burden to bear when considering stepping outside your comfort zone in a situation like public speaking or networking or pitching or promoting yourself or delivering bad news or being assertive or whatever it might be. Um, And so what the three C's are are the three tools that I found in my research that really essentially distinguish people who are successful from people who are unsuccessful. Would it be useful to just quickly uh, give you a sense of what what they were? That'd be great. Yeah, so so conviction. Conviction is the first one. Uh, Conviction is... is, is that deep sense of purpose. It's almost like giving yourself psychological permission to do something that's running against the grain of every bone in your body. Um, and, and I found that people uh, located their source of, of conviction to, to be either sort of professional or personal, sometimes both. But a professional source of conviction might be, you know, I, I've always wanted to own my own business, be a leader, um, you know, be a manager, whatever it might be, be an entrepreneur. And, 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 and I, I see that I really do need to do this particular behavior, this thing that's outside my comfort zone. But, but that goal, that ambition that I have is something I'm going to hold on to. And that's going to sort of essentially power me through the discomfort. Um, that's professional. Personal is, is different. That's, 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 that's like, for instance, you know, like, like me, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a parent, I've got two children and I'm, I'm often thinking about having to, ways to, that they can step outside their comfort zones at an age appropriate level. And, and then I sort of put the mirror on myself. And if I'm not stepping outside my comfort zone, uh, if I'm avoiding something, you know, I, I, I think that I'm not, I'm not being the, the parent I want to be, the role model I want to be. And that ends up being a very powerful source for me of conviction. So wherever it comes from, whether it's personal or professional, you know, find it, embrace it, locate 
communicate it. That is that that is a really powerful tool you have at your disposal. So that's the first C, conviction. Mm-hmm. The second C is clarity. I'm sorry, what we could call it clarity. The second C is clarity. And that's the idea that often when we're stepping outside our comfort zone, uh, we have the tendency to catastrophize, as psychologists would say. We look at the worst possible case scenario. I'm going to give a speech. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to faint on stage. I'm going to look like a total fool. And we, we, um, we, we fixate on the fact that this is highly probable, when in fact, it's probably not very probable. It's much more probable that sort of middle ground perspective that you know what you're probably not going to be the best ted talker ever uh your your first speech and you also probably won't faint on stage you'll probably be somewhere in the middle and the ability to sort of hold on to that more realistic grounded perspective i found i call it clarity but i found that distinguished people who are able to take that leap to nudge themselves outside their comfort zone and then the final c is 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 um customization which which to me was actually probably the most surprising slash exciting thing i found it was you kept hearing it in people's stories i mean they didn't call it um, customization, but they they were talking about the exact same thing, and that was the idea that there was no one size fits all way of doing any of these things. No matter what their situation was, people were finding ways to tweak their situation, to sculpt it, almost like you'd buy a pair of pants and bring it to a tailor to shorten or to loosen or to lengthen or whatever it is. You're kind of customizing it to your body in the same way people are able to customize their situation to their liking to make it feel a little bit more authentic. Whether it's through their body language, um, maybe a prop, maybe literally a prop um, they would bring or timing or staging the context or language or whatever it might be. People found very creative ways of customizing and that really helped them feel just a bit more authentic and, and, and it was more likely they would actually take the leap. So you got clarity, conviction and customization. Those are the three C's. Well, it sounds like customization, if there's a need to understand who you are. It's sort of, it's linked to that and therefore to the authentic self. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a way to sort of use tools, frankly, to, to, to make a situation your own. I'll, I'll give you just a quick example. This is a, this is a funny example. It's a great example, I think, actually. It's, it's, a, it's an email I got uh, recently from a reader of my book, Reach, who, who really liked the book, and she wanted to share a story with me that the book inspired her uh, to, to, to do. And she, she was sort of a, a very shy, uh, introverted person, uh, wanted to be more social, and wanted to not be the wallflower in the corner of social get-togethers. But unfortunately, that's where she was. And so she, she, she read the book and got the ideas, and she had this epiphany that she could bring a prop. I talk one of the tools for customization is a prop, like a tool. And she had this idea that, and she happened to love photography, that she could bring a, a selfie stick to, to social get-togethers, a little selfie stick. And it was this great catalyst for her because people would look at it. Some people would know what it was. Lots of people wouldn't. And they'd say, you know, what is this? And she'd say, it's a selfie stick. They certainly knew what the term was. And they said, oh, how do you, how do you use that? And then she would then be in the role of the explainer. It gave her like a role in this situation. She would then explain it. It would loosen her up. It would make her feel more at ease. She would they would they would take pictures. Sometimes even exchange emails. So it was a it was just a great catalyst for her. And so that's one little example of a way that she uh, sculpted a situation to make it um, a little bit more uncomfortable for her to take that leap. Mm. I like the idea. I always talk about having little fun little accessories uh, that 
people will notice, like you know, a little detail on your glass or some funky uh, cufflinks. Um, yeah. I want to just add, we we'll get back to this notion of authenticity because it's a probably would be considered a buzzword um, by the number of times it's mentioned in HBR articles and so on. Sure. Um, but but it, you know, so as, as much as we can talk about it, it is kind of a a raw ingredient. Uh, that is to say, you, you don't fabricate authenticity. It is either you or it isn't. But how do you know that you're being authentic? Because, I mean, I, I even thinking about your the way you set up the whys that people have this difficulty, you might even have trouble being who you are. True, and some people don't know who they are. Um, but I think that it's, I think it has to do, the authenticity I'm talking about is a subjective experience of authenticity. Like that, 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 that I feel like myself, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think people do have different degrees of self-awareness, right? Um, it, so, so it gets, it, it can get quite complicated if you sort of go down the rabbit hole, sort of the epistemological rabbit hole of what authenticity means and so on. But I think, I think of it as just the base level of, does this feel like me? Does this feel natural? Does this feel authentic? That, that's 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 what I, that's what I mean by. And uh, when looking at conviction, so Andy, in my experience, I was brought up business school MBA, be great, look for performance, uh, and and really focused on the professional side of of activity at work. But my empirical evidence suggests that the personal side of conviction is just a darn sight stronger than a professional side. One is like, let's make more money. And the other one is, let's do some dumping for the better of the world. You know, my kids or something much more missionary. The um, David Brooks talks about the difference between a, a eulogy virtue and a resume virtue. The eulogy one for me is of the personal domain and the resume one is of the professional. Talk me through how you react to that. Well, that re- I, I know David Brooks. I know that, um, I mean, I don't know him, but I know that, I know that distinction he's made. It resonates with me, and I would agree with you. In my life, absolutely, it's the eulogy virtue. It's the personal side. I mentioned that before, but but I, but I don't want to speak for everybody. I think for some people, uh, and at some stages of people's lives, you know, ca- career and ambition really matters to them. And I don't want to di- I don't want to discount that or discredit that. But you know, for me, absolutely, I think it's it's all about. Uh, meaning and personal meaning, and I think this. I think that I think the younger generation, it seems, you know, the millennials, certainly younger than me. Um, I think that meaning matters a great deal, and you can you see that reflected in, in a lot of business trends nowadays too. All right, so you're, let's say, you or I might be, for the sake of this particular conversation, a manager of a of a team. And uh, I feel like I'm pretty good at getting out of my comfort zone and speaking lots of languages and doing all that. Uh, but my team, God damn it, they're not where I want them to be. They keep on sitting in the little comfort zone. H- how do you go about coaxing them to get out of their comfort zone and, you know, being like you? Yeah, so, so, um, so I mean, I think there are a lot of different approaches. Um, my approach would probably be something about having people choose a situation to start with, a very concrete, specific situation that has meaning to them, that's worthwhile to them, something that they'd like to be able to improve to do. Uh, like, you know, whatever it might be, speaking up at a meeting, pitching your ideas, you know, I don't know, whatever it might be. And then to start to apply what I'm talking about, because I do practice what I preach. And I actually use this stuff. I use this stuff in my teaching. I use this stuff in my training and my workshops and so on. And I know that it, 
then it, it's really got something to it. So that's what I would do. And I would apply these tools and have people start to try to understand their pain points, the authenticity and likability, the competence, all that, really try to understand where their fears are coming from and then apply the tools, the conviction, the customization and clarity. So that, that would be my approach. And, and, and it's not just hypothetical. I use it. I've done it. And I've found that it can be successful. And readers of the book have told me that, you know, they've gotten great, this really good, good, good value out of that. I, I I think other people might have different approaches. Um, you know, some people might feel that you need to kind of kick people out of the nest and shock them, right, in some way. Uh, you know, um, I, I actually gave a keynote uh, speech last year to a, in a company where the CEO, deep, it was a small company, deeply believed in uh, encouraging his employees to step outside their comfort zones. And cre he created a series of year-long uh, experiences for them to step outside their comfort zone in all sorts of ways, ranging from professional situations to, you know, making them perform on stage in various acting roles, wearing various crazy costumes to, uh, I don't know, hiking and climbing up mountains and all these sorts of challenges, you know, uh, and, and he found that that that, that was that he he felt his belief his hypothesis was that by uh, by by providing people with these challenges and essentially forcing them outside their comfort zone that that was going to help them over time and so you know I think that I think people might have different perspectives I, I do think whatever it is um, and however it happens you clearly need to nudge people outside their comfort zone and have them take the leap. And in, in one case, it might be self-initiated. In other cases, it might be sort of nudged. And in other cases, it might be forced, right? So I, I, I'm thinking that comfort zone equals sign average. And, and so if I'm in a business, just like I'm trying to encourage people to experiment, fail fast, and therefore accept failure, is that also not something that has to happen as you try to encourage your team to do that one or your person to do this one project that's meaningful to them? Because if you know you tell your child, be out of the comfort zone, they usually wear, let's say, white shirts and they go with a tie-dye the following day and they get teased about it. Then you have to manage the, the failure that accompanies the fact that they, they went the wrong way. Right. And, and I think in that case, it would depend on how deeply they care about wearing tie dyes. You know, if, if they if it was just a random occurrence where you, for some odd reason, wanted them to wear a tie dye and force them to do it, but it wasn't something they cared about, then I would say it's not. It's on you. Not, it's on you. Not a, yeah. not a worthy experiment. But if it's something that they did care about, whatever it is, and that it is important to them. You know, that that does then create a conflict. Right. Because because you're stepping outside your comfort zone. Uh, in a situation that matters to you, and you, and you, in, in that likability challenge that we talked about earlier, that's starting to buzz, right? That's starting to really buzz, and maybe there's actually a grain of truth to it. Maybe it's not the anticipated fear of of not being liked. Maybe it's maybe there's an actual element of that. So, so right. So I think it's 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 a complex situation. Sure but I think, um, yeah. And like with so many of these things, it's how you react to them that actually is the journey. Um, so I, the last question I have, um, which I, I think is a reasonably quick one in some regards, is, you know, so there are some people who are constantly out of the comfort zone. And the characterization one might have for them would be atypical or possibly sometimes asocial or unpredictable because they're constantly out of their comfort zone. Uh, is it not then a reverse challenge that they are hard to fit in? 
It's interesting. Yeah, as you were asking, I was thinking to myself, gosh, have I ever actually met anyone like that? I don't know know if I have. You know, people who, I I guess, would they be like adrenaline junkies that they're always trying to push the edge? You know, the comfort zone is so wide, so expansive that there are few things in it that are outside their comfort zone, so they constantly need to try to encounter those in order to, like they're only living if they're doing that. I I don't know. Richard Richard Branson is, is a man I kind of think might be like that. Well, it's interesting because he writes about, yes, you see that, um, you see him skydiving and this and that, but you also hear him talk about his fear of public speaking, you know, so, so, so that's a very sort of down to earth, concrete example of a situation where he might be outside his comfort zone. And in fact, he talks about customization, exactly what I, what I was talking about before in his customization that I've read about is that instead of doing straight on talks, which are very stressful for him. Instead, he chooses more of a Q&A format yeah. like we're doing now, which is a bit more spontaneous and sort of plays to his nature and doesn't make him sort of worried about de- delivering that standard speech. So even th- so, so that's an example where, where he is outside his comfort zone, he is customizing and so on. And, and it's not a case of him just sort of like that thrilling picture of him diving out of a out of an airplane, <laughs> or, or wearing a dress as he had to. Wear. <laughs> there you go. So, um, well, I, I've I've heard the same thing from him actually. So, um, that's great, Andy. It was lovely to have you on. I enjoyed this immensely. Um, so I would like to ask you uh, not necessarily do a shameless plug, but you know, shameful no, no, a good plug. <laughs> or how how can people reach you and or can get in touch with the reach? Yeah, it's a fun conversation. I, I'd love to, to connect with folks. My, uh, yeah, my website is um, www.andymolinsky.com, and my name is spelled A-N-D-Y-M-O-L-I-N-S-K-Y.com. I'm on, you know, pretty active on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook, and, and, and you can find links to my book, uh, Reach, and also my book, Global Dexterity, that we talked about before. And I love hearing from people. I write very regularly for Harvard Business Review and Inc.com and so on, and please reach out. I have my email right on my website. So um, so I love to hear from folks, and, and this is fun. Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure, Andy. Thanks for getting in touch, and uh, look out, look look forward to reading Reach uh, as soon as I can, as we were talking before. I haven't managed to download it because my blooming Kindle email. Anyway, working on it. Have a great day. Enjoy the season. Enjoy your classes and uh, stay in touch. Thanks. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention.
How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.